The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The wellness community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Uh, I, I want to read a quote. Uh, cancer is no simple disease, and effective treatment is not just about killing rogue cells with radiation and chemotherapy. It's about healing the human being. Uh, that's a quote from the Institute of Medicine's report, uh, Cancer Care for the Whole Patient, Meeting Psychosocial Health Needs, that really rings true, especially for today's show. Uh, coping with a cancer diagnosis and undergoing treatment can be challenging for anyone. Uh, facing unwanted and unexpected side effects of that treatment can cause even more disruption. Uh, fortunately, there are ways to be prepared for and to manage both the physical and emotional effects of treatment. Uh, on today's show, in conjunction with the recent release of our updated educational resource, Frankly Speaking About Cancer Treatments and Side Effects, we will be addressing cancer treatments, uh, some of the most common side effects, when you should contact your doctor, and tips for improving both your emotional and physical well-being. Uh, joining us on the show today is uh, Erica Fisher, who is a clinical nurse specialist at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. Hi, Erica. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me today. Absolutely. And we also have Jen Sinclair, who is program director at our very own cancer support community uh, in the greater Lehigh Valley area of Pennsylvania. Hello, Jen. Hi, glad to be here. Well, um, I want to jump right in because we have a lot to, uh, uh, to cover. I want to start off by getting some background on, on, you know, cancer treatment. Let's start there because we want to know, you know, what, what, what of these treatments are, are causing the side effects and, and, uh, but really getting to the core of understanding the treatment, uh, is really a starting point. Erica, I'm going to ask you a broad question. I know it's, uh, uh, maybe you can help us narrow down. Um, uh, can you start by just giving us a quick kind of explanation, a quick primer in, you know, explaining really Really, the the goals of, of cancer treatments and and the different type of uh, kind of types or categories of treatment options, so we can start there. Sure, that's a great question, and unfortunately, it's one a lot of people don't ask when they're diagnosed. Kind of what what's the goal of my treatment? The goal a lot of times is going to be um, very dependent on the stage of the cancer, and what that means more simply is really how how extensive is the cancer? Is mm-hmm. it localized in one place? 
Has it gone other places in the body, like to another organ? Um, so with many earlier stage cancers, where the cancer is kind of localized in one area, the goal is often to be curative or remove kind of all of the, the known or visible detectable traces of the cancer. But when we have a more advanced cancer or later stage, like some people are familiar with the term stage four, where maybe more than one organ is involved or the tumor may be too large um, to do surgery on, the goals shift a little bit and they move more instead of to removing all of the cancer to minimizing the symptoms from the cancer, controlling the growth as best as possible, and also maintaining the highest amount of quality of life for the patient. So Erica, we oftentimes also hear the term metastatic. What does that mean? Sure. Metastatic is another way of saying stage four. It mm-hmm. means that the cancer has moved from the area where it originated to another area. And that could be, um, say, in the case of breast cancer, cells have gone to the liver and begun to grow or to the bones and begun to grow. Okay. Now, I know we have a range of, uh, uh, you know, of different, uh, you know, different treatment options, different ways that patients can receive the treatment or, or, or medicine, but Erica, can you put the, the, the ways that we treat cancer into a, in, into a couple of sort of different buckets for us? Sure. So there's, there's two big buckets. One is uh, local and one is systemic. Um, and so when we talk about locally, those are things like surgery um, or radiation therapy. And so it only affects the immediate area of the cancer. So their primary use is really in the earlier stage cancers where we're looking to um, really eradicate it or get rid of it completely. Systemic treatment, that bucket um, really encompasses a lot of different things. And those treatments go through the entire body. So those are things... Um, Um, like chemotherapy, hormonal therapy, or some of the targeted or biotherapies. And we use um, all of the things in that bucket, sometimes in combination with each other, for all of the different stages of cancer. So I, I'm going to ask you kind of guys both the next question, but you know, uh, Eric, I want to ask you more from sort of a medical perspective, and Jen more from sort of a psychosocial, you know, uh, uh, you know, kind of a disease management um, um, perspective. But uh, you know, uh, someone's been diagnosed with cancer, or you know, it's overwhelming. They're trying to get ready um, for an appointment. Um, you know, Jen, obviously, big emotional impact. You've just been diagnosed with cancer. When folks come in and, and find us at the cancer support community. We're trying to help them kind of navigate some of these issues. What types of questions about treatment and about making these decisions should people be prepared to, to, um, to communicate, you know, to their healthcare team? What kind of guidance would you give them? One of the first things that we recommend to folks, it sounds so simple, um, but people often forget to do it, is to ask for another review of the treatment options uh, to make sure that it's clear. Some doctors in our area, I know, provide so much great information. Uh, it's very technical. So what they also do sometimes with asked again is they provide graphs and even drawing pictures. So, you know, especially since it's such an overwhelming process and since many people miss some of the initial details. It's so good to have that information clarified in a way that they understand. So that's where we like to tell people to start. And then after that information is reviewed, um, you know, some of the initial questions could be more about the logistics of, you know, where can I, where do I need to go for treatment? Um, how often will I need to go? How long? Uh, if there are insurance-related questions, because those tend to deal with the goals of the patient. Um, Erica nicely talked about the goals of the treatment, but um, patients themselves have have goals and things that are 
mainly important to them. You know, if it's someone who lives alone, if it's um, someone who might need to think about balancing work and family life. So it's so important that they know how the side effects are going to who, to impact them in their, mm-hmm. their daily life. And those are some very initial bases that need to be covered so they can feel more comfortable with the process and, and move on to other specifics. And, and Jen, do you find that um, a lot of times when folks are diagnosed, they're getting prepared to start treatment? I mean, are there are there certain fears um, that 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 come up or that you hear consistently? Um, you know, I'm, I mean, I know a lot of folks think about, oh, you know, I'm concerned I'm going to be, you know, throwing up, or you know, I'm concerned mm-hmm. I'm going to be in pain, or or uh, worried about losing my hair, things like that. Are there sort of these thematic things that you hear from folks that they're they're afraid about that you kind of try to help them manage in advance? Right. They're often afraid of the unknown. Um, they're not sure yeah. how their body's going to respond to the treatment and what their outcomes might be, um, but also afraid of the changes throughout treatment. Yeah. Um, some folks find it very helpful to read online about possible side effects, but for others, that in itself can be very, very overwhelming. Um, yeah. My father's a survivor, and, and he's a researcher, so he looked through everything he could find, but quickly decided that it was it was just getting too much for him. He had yeah. to, you know, tailor it. Yeah, step away from the computer. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Erica, um, you know, Jen shared with us a little bit about, you know, the the, the sort of psychological, you know, preparation, uh, and in terms of going into treatment and and, and starting with with, uh, with treatment from a, from a medical standpoint. You know, what types of questions about treatment should people be prepared to, uh, you know, to ask, or are there sort of, you know, categories of questions that you hear over and over again that that you can kind of help us understand? Sure. So actually, I find the most important thing to ask is the one that they're um, not asking. So, and what I mean by that is there's always one or two things that is weighing heavily on a patient's heart when they come into this diagnosis. And Mm -hmm. oftentimes they don't ask it. It may be about hair loss or it may be something they feel embarrassed to ask. Mm -hmm. Um, The problem with that is it then blocks out all of the other information because internally they're focusing on that one question they're afraid to ask. I can't tell you how often I I sit down to teach a patient about their chemo regimen. And I ask, you know, do you have any questions? No. And we could get 30, 40 minutes in and I immediately can tell when I've answered whatever they didn't ask because they Mm -hmm. relax a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And then I feel terrible because I know that we've lost about a half an hour of information that they haven't heard because of all that internal noise. So generally say whatever it is that's on your mind, don't be embarrassed. The healthcare team has heard it before. Um, And if it's important to the patient, it matters very much to us. So just ask it right up front. I think that's I think that's really good advice, and I think, like you said, you know, you guys have heard all of this before. There's probably nothing that would uh, that would shock you uh, at this point, and they, they, you know, patients probably take comfort in knowing, um, you know, hearing from you. Oh gosh, that's a question I hear, you know, quite a bit, or not, you know, mm-hmm. not to be embarrassed or, or or worried about asking something. Or I think also, um, Erica, not to not to think something's trivial. You know, like you said, if it's on your mind, then it's something that we as the team care about, and I know, for example, you know, hair loss is one. I think that it's it's not a not a life threatening side effect, you know, by any means, but it certainly uh, you know affects the way you feel about yourself, and sometimes can become a painful reminder of your cancer. Very much so, and uh, I think a lot of times people feel that 
they shouldn't be worried about those things because they're physical. And I can't tell you how often a patient says, like, oh, I know it's stupid or I'm vain. Yeah. Um, and that's not what it is at all. It's it's a very real, it's the part of the cancer they see in the mirror every day. And so it, it is important. Yeah. Um, Jen, we've just got a couple minutes to our, our first break here, but, um, uh, you know, I know when the patient's with the doctor, they're going to get a lot of medical information, um, you know, this, this, you know, this treatment, when you look at the data, maybe a little bit better than this treatment, but it might be a little more expensive, or um, maybe the side effect profile is different, or this, if you have heart issues, this treatment is better for this, you know, patient if they have heart issues. Um, and so, you know, the patient walks away with the medical information, but sometimes they're trying to you know, make decisions over treatment A versus treatment B, and kind of all they have is the medical information. How how do you help them with those kinds of decisions? Not telling them, you know, pick one versus the other, but how do you help them put it into the context of their lives and their own values and what matters to them? Learn Network actually has a service designed to help patients prepare for that doctor's appointment where the the treatment decision will be made. It's called Open to Options. It's a question listing service. And as Erica was was talking, I'm I'm really glad to hear um, that so much time is dedicated to that. And and you're right. These tough questions or the ones they're hesitant to ask might take a long time into the appointment to get to. So with this service is really designed to do is to help them feel more empowered uh, from the start and engaged in that process. So in a sense, they'll be developing their own list of questions beforehand, and those questions deal in large part with the side effects and what to expect. We love when people take advantage of that service right away before starting. Uh, People can ask their, their local site if they have a trained person on staff to conduct one or they can call the helpline. Um, but in addition to that one-on-one service, our other more group-based programs can help tremendously because they give people a, ch- a chance to meet others who've mm. chosen maybe a similar treatment. Yeah. And seeing another who's managed those side effects or who's going through something similar can be yeah. so validating. Nothing more encouraging than mm-hmm. that and see see somebody who's uh, on the other side of it. I know that mm-hmm. that can be so inspirational and I know it's so much of the essence of, of the cancer support community is just connecting in the community with others who are going through uh, the same experience. There's nothing like it. Um, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Uh, we're talking today about treatment side effects, managing those side effects. Our show today is uh, being brought to you in part by Azi, uh, Genentech, and Amgen. We're going to take a, a quick commercial break here, but but uh, but don't go away. We have so much more to talk about in terms of managing the physical, social, emotional, practical side effects of uh, dealing with cancer treatment. This is frankly speaking about cancer. We'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, 
The Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo, and today we're talking about cancer treatments and uh, their side effects. We're talking with Erica Fisher and Jen Sinclair. Uh, in this next segment, we want to talk more about different side effects uh, that you may expect and, and, uh, and how to manage them and kind of drill down on some of the more, uh, more common side effects. Um, Jen, let me just start with you. You know, another sort of a bigger picture question, but... Um, uh, you know, I know that sometimes when folks are coming into cancer support community and they're getting ready to to um, to, to start treatment, you know, they have, uh, you know, like you said in, in our first segment, and for those who are just joining us, really that idea of a fear fear of the unknown. And um, I think sometimes there there can be, you know, in the media, in the movies, uh, you know, a lot of uh, you know myths and misconceptions out there about about uh, about treatment and uh, and managing those side effects. I know we've come really come a long way 
uh, in terms of managing side effects, but uh, certainly uh, it can be a pretty scary time starting treatment and not knowing what to expect. How do you talk to folks, Jen, about managing those fears and anxieties, really putting that out on the table and kind of getting to a better mental place to, to start your treatment? Absolutely. That fear of unknown usually has to do with a lack of a sense of control, especially if, if folks are hearing, um, as you said, you know, from the media and from other people and um, worrying that, wow, could this be me if they're reading a statistic online thinking or looking at the side effects in even some medications, could this be me? Um, it, it, all of our programs are actually designed to help people regain a sense of control and we talk to people quite a bit about staying in the moment, staying present to to help them reduce the anxiety so that they can deal with these as they come. Um, on, on another note, uh, some of our group members, if they start coming regularly, can educate those who are newly diagnosed about a side effect maybe they weren't aware of. And so then in that sense, it can help the newly diagnosed folks maybe prevent complications in the future because they knew what to expect. So in a group setting, it can be talked about more sensitively um, so that people feel like they're not alone. Um, you know, mainly we want people to, to build that camaraderie. That's what we're all about. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that, I, I, you know, I think that's good advice. Um, you know, and Erica, I, I, you know, I guess I would, I would ask from a medical standpoint, um, what kind of advice can you offer folks that may be, uh, you know, afraid of, of possible side effects? Maybe I'll ask you to answer the question, really, where are we? You know, have we really made good advances in terms of helping people manage side effects? Are there certain things that we do to help prevent or, you know, reduce certain side effects as folks are, are starting treatment, things we can change or adjust along the way as we go? I think we've made amazing headway, to be honest. I meet um, individuals every day that have these ideas in their mind from a family member or a friend that um, went through cancer therapy five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and it might as well be 100 years ago, just mm-hmm. because the, the things we have and the ways we know how to manage the, the side effects now are completely different. And so the things you're seeing on TV and in the movies aren't what it's like anymore. And uh, I think that it's an amazing, um, a, a really amazing thing to see in the medical field that we're not just developing ways to treat cancer, but we're developing ways to make the patient's experience going through treatment of cancer equally as important. And so, you know, the main thing that I generally want to tell people is to not let the fear of the possible side effects prevent them from getting the treatment for their cancer. I've, mm-hmm. I've seen, unfortunately, um, although thankfully not often, patients become so afraid of, you know, how nauseous they may be or um, how they, they a long-term side effect they could potentially get from one of the medications that they opt to not get any treatment for their cancer at all. And so, you know, patients really should know the healthcare team is with them every step of the way. They'll provide them information on what side effects to expect. They're going to give them tools to manage them, and they're always going to be continually monitoring to make sure that the treatment needs um, to be tweaked for a symptom that's becoming difficult to manage, that, that that will be done. They're never just going to give them the meds and, you know, kind of leave them out into the world to, to manage it on their own. Are there, Erica, do you find sometimes that maybe patients are suffering or enduring side effects that they don't need to because they might be afraid that, you know, maybe 
the treatment's not working or maybe the doctor's going to stop the treatment and that would be bad or, I mean, do you, do you is, uh, is it important for patients to know that, again, oftentimes these things really can be managed, so it's so important that you really are open with your doctor and really share that? Extremely important. We um, There is a culture of kind of, well, I don't want you to hold my medication or give me less of a dose, so I'm not going to tell you how bad the pins and needles feeling in my fingers are, or I'm, you know, not going to tell you that I'm nauseous because I don't want you to change the dose. Um, and so a lot of it is patient education, uh, mm-hmm. being able to make sure that as the team, we're doing a good job on our end and in letting the patient know that they don't have to do that. But also, it um, can actually make the side effect worse over time if they're not being managed appropriately. And so then we could wind up being in a case where, you know, it, it goes so long without us knowing that they're having a symptom that it's much harder to control later. So I absolutely encourage them to, you know, as soon as something is happening, let the healthcare team know because it's much easier to manage up front. And in some instances, is it true that... that just because you're having side effects doesn't necessarily mean that the, they're automatically going to stop the treatment, that they may give you a little bit of a kind of a break or longer break between treatments, or maybe they'll reduce the dose so you don't have the intensity. Exactly. Sometimes it's also a matter of just incorporating a, what we call a supportive medication into the regimen, so something to help specifically target that symptom. Nausea is a good example. So we give medications before chemotherapy to help prevent nausea, but then we also give additional ones for at home to be additionally supportive um, and kind of boosted. And so sometimes it's adding or changing the supportive medications, or it may be adding an extra few days or a week between treatments to give the body some additional rest. So very rarely does it involve completely stopping or withdrawing a treatment. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, Jen, we've been talking about sort of the medical management of some of these side effects, but I know there are so many sort of, you know, uh, uh, complementary and, you know, integrative ways that we can also, you know, help patients with side effect management. There's a lot of great data to show that, um, you know, not only do you want to think about medical management, but some of these other sort of techniques uh, that we employ uh, side by side with the medical management to to help even further. Can you talk about some of those kinds of uh, programs and interventions? Sure. Uh, Some of our members find that the gentle movement classes we offer, that could be uh, yoga, tai chi, or qigong, they find them very, very helpful in helping them regain balance, especially if neuropathy was a side effect they were experiencing. The classes don't reverse all of the effects necessarily, but they do help people feel more in control of their body. Um, Also, members have shared that the expressive arts classes and also our meditative practices classes help them ease their pain. Um, One thing that I I like to remind folks when they call in is that one of our goals at Cancer Support Community is to teach people a skill that they can use outside of the workshop. So they hone the skill and they practice in in front of the instructor and with the group, but For instance, if they're experiencing pain or nausea or discomfort at the home or in the hospital, some of these techniques that they practice with us can be done elsewhere so that it really carries over in the day-to-day. Uh, yeah, I think that's. Um, yeah, I, I think it's good advice, and I know that when we look at the data now, Jen, it's it, it, you know just about everybody 
diagnosed with cancer or other serious illnesses, you know, don't just want to use the medical tools to help manage their illness. They understand that by employing some of these other techniques, some of these exercise programs, yoga programs, meditation, even by participating in support groups. Uh, you know, we do support groups online, um, and we found that patients who participated on, in online support groups had a decrease in their reaction to pain. They were better able mm-hmm. to manage their pain just by being in a support group online mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and, and, and connecting to others. So, Jen, I think it's important. Uh, I think you'd agree that, that um, it, you know, there are so many tools out there in addition to the medical management, so many tools out there to help you manage the symptoms and side effects of cancer, um, you know, and its treatment that, um, you know, this is no longer kind of out there in left field and, you know, something that, 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 that hippies are, are doing. Right. It's something that right. has become very mainstream and even, you know, incorporated, uh, Jen, into some of the hospitals. Is that what you're seeing? Exactly, exactly. And we have a good relationship with the hospital networks in our area, but it's so pleasing to hear when referrals come directly from the physicians, that they really believe in it and um, that the, that their patients are seeing that when they bring it up to their doctors, they're, they're glad that it's an integrative approach, that they're, um, they're getting both sides, the complementary integrative as well as the medical. So it really has become more endorsed by the medical community. And we hear even in our small area, um, hospitals that are doing some yoga classes on site and some art therapy, even going into the infusion centers, um, whether it's working with the kids or the adults, one of our local hospitals has an art cart and uh, they'll go around and they'll just draw in color, um, something just so basic. Um, but yeah. they'll, they'll, they'll do that just as a, as a really lovely distraction uh, for folks that are undergoing the chemotherapy. Yeah. Um, Erica, obviously you guys are, you know, one of the most well-known cancer centers in the country, in the world. Um, uh, are you, do you find that the folks there at Memorial are supportive of, of these kinds of sort of, you know, integrative and, you know, comprehensive approaches to, to, to managing some of these symptoms and side effects? Very much so. We actually have an amazing integrative medicine department that does a lot of the things Jen was just talking about, um, Reiki therapy and acupuncture, massage. Um, they also get very involved in art therapy groups, and we have um, all different types of support groups. There is also, um, you know, less formal in our waiting rooms when people are, you know, kind of waiting to go in. They have knitting groups, an opportunity for people to kind of take their mind off what's going on, connect with other people, keep their hands busy, um, and for all ages, for children of cancer patients, for their loved ones, um, and for the patients themselves. And the, the physicians are really excellent about um, recommending the programs and referring them. It's actually even in part of our order sets here where the doctor can physically make the referrals. So it's a, a very unified approach um, to taking care of the whole patient. Do you see a difference, um, Erica, in your patients when they're participating in those kinds of programs? Can you, uh, you know, do you sense a difference or do you see patients who, you know, who are looking for advice and you send them to some of those programs and then, they, you know, you, you, you see a difference as a result of that participation? I really do. Um, I think part of it comes from they really feel back in control. We, you know, we've talked a lot today about control um, of their decisions. They're able to say, well, I'm going to do this for myself versus, mm-hmm. 
you know, kind of being told this is or isn't part of your regiment. And so they really become active in choosing what are they going to do to help kind of manage their symptoms and their um, disease on their own. And so it's nice to see that, but it's also comforting to know that they're using providers that are, you know, reputable and have knowledge about taking care of cancer patients. Certified. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's critical. And that's probably a good point is that, you know, you know, talk to your cancer center if you're looking for these kinds of programs or interventions. Talk to your cancer center, you know, come to the cancer support community and, you you know, you know for sure that you're going to get qualified, certified people um, in these different kinds of of, uh, of, uh, interventions. Others in the community may not be certified to work with cancer patients, but through organizations like ours, you know, you can be sure that you're going to get the um, the quality and the and you know and the training that you need when you're going through uh, through cancer. This is frankly speaking about cancer. We're talking about coping with the cancer treatment and treatment side effects, and lots of good tips and advice today for doing that with our uh, wonderful guests. We're going to take a quick break here. Don't go away. We will be right back. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the AZI Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo, and today we're talking about cancer treatments and side effects with Erica Fisher, clinical nurse specialist at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York, and Jen Sinclair, program director at the Cancer Support Community of Greater Lehigh Valley in Pennsylvania. Uh, now I want to talk more about some of the specific side effects that can be expected from treatment and, and, and how to manage them, both from a physical and a mental perspective. We're really talking about 
about an integrative uh, approach um, to managing treatment and, and uh, side effects and, and uh, techniques and ways that uh, you can care for yourself uh, as, as the whole patient, as the whole person, uh, not only addressing your physical needs but your uh, social, emotional, spiritual uh, needs as you are sort of managing uh, this journey. Erica, let's start with one of uh, the more common physical side effects from chemotherapy that we hear about, uh, nausea and vomiting, um, which can be really uh, kind of debilitating, uh, you know, uncomfortable. Um, what causes patients to become sick and have that reaction um, after chemotherapy, and are there ways to prevent, manage, ease uh, this side effect? Sure. So nausea can actually come from a few different places. It can come from the GI tract, like the stomach, but it can also come from the brain and the nervous system. So uh, while you could eat a cheeseburger after chemotherapy and feel nauseous kind of from the GI tract, if you're anxious or you're really nervous about your diagnosis or your treatment, that can also manifest itself as nausea as well. And so how we kind of manage it really depends on where it's coming from. So chemotherapy and a lot of the treatments for cancer historically act on rapidly dividing cells. So any little cancer cells in the body, but that also tends to be the lining of the mouth, the throat, um, and the stomach. And so some different things we normally recommend to manage the side effect coming from, from that area is really eating small frequent meals instead of three larger meals, staying away from foods that tend to be irritating, like things that are greasy or fried, something very spicy or seasoned. Um, irritants like alcohol and caffeine should really be avoided as much as possible as well. Um, some patients find that sucking on a peppermint candy or having a cup of peppermint tea when they first start to feel a little queasy also mm -hmm. helps as well. We talk about it a little more from kind of the, the nervous system or being anxious and worried, doing deep breathing, relaxation techniques like yoga or guided meditation is often very useful. And then kind of pulling in some of those integrative therapies we were just talking about, like massage and acupuncture, can also be really useful for patients that are looking for kind of a non-medication way to manage this. I think those are all uh, great tips and good advice, and I know those are some of the things that we list out in our uh, Frankly Speaking booklet. Um, so I think that's uh, uh, great information. Um, Jen, I know that another common side effect that goes kind of right along with, with nausea and vomiting, was it one that is common and, again, can be really uh, debilitating is, uh, uh, is fatigue, um, and, and which is different from being tired. Um, what, uh, what methods of coping with, with the fatigue, with that type of exhaustion, um, do you guys offer? And when people come to CSC programs and, you know, kind of in our materials, different interventions, what are some of the things that, um, that you guys utilize to help patients combat fatigue? We've held programs in the past with a nurse who titled her fatigue workshop, My Get Up and Go Has Got Up and Left. And so people were <laughs> attracted to that because it could relate to it. And you're right, it's different than just being tired. Tired could be helped with some rest or a nap. And it's cancer-related fatigue is very, very different. And so the nurse covered some techniques about how people can cope, such as um, keeping a, a routine, conserving energy for priority tasks, setting limits, which is very tough for those of us and for many of our members who are used to just doing so much and saying yes to so much and being helpers themselves. So setting limits, uh, those kinds of things. 
Um, but in addition to those ideas, again, I'd really refer to our general movement classes since they help people increase flexibility and slowly gain some of their strengths back. Even when exhaustion is so heavy, we encourage people to just pace their goals, start slow and increase as you can. Um, you know, once they start, if, if they just get to the class and, you know, maybe try to do a little bit or observe and participate slowly, that gives them a sense of accomplishment, which is so important because cancer-related fatigue isn't just the physical tiredness, but it's also the mental and emotional. So overall, that stress reduction and self-nurturance and the power of being around people who can understand uh, is so crucial. Um, uh, you know, I... You know, I think that's, I think it's critical, and I think that fatigue, and Erica, maybe you just want to take a quick minute to speak to this as well, but, you know, I think people think fatigue is just, you're tired, and so if you mm-hmm. rest, you're going to feel better, but it, it really is something quite different, isn't it? Very much. I tell my patients chemo or treatment fatigue is different than I worked my butt off all day fatigue, in that um, if you have a really strenuous day and you go home and you know there, you know, you have to do the dishes and you need to throw a load of laundry in, that you'll sleep hard that night and you kind of get a do-over the next day. With treatment-related fatigue, when you kind of push through, you really do become more tired the next day and it's harder to reach back to that baseline. So it's very much an, uh, an exercise in listening to your body, taking frequent rest periods, using help from the people around you, which we tend to be a little shy about doing in many cases. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, important and important to speak up and really, you know, talk about what your needs are and find the tools to manage through that. Um, I also know, Erica, some, sometimes folks can experience rashes as a result of, uh, of, of chemotherapy or radiation or really different kinds of skin reactions to some of the new uh, targeted therapies that we're seeing on the market. And, and uh, you know, this can, it can certainly be tricky to try to, you know, manage this. Um, you know, how, how does a patient sort of measure, oh, my gosh, well, maybe this is a normal reaction, uh, you know, to the treatment, or maybe I'll just go to the drugstore or get something topical. Or, um, and and when, when should a patient really kind of escalate that and, and notify their healthcare team about, a, you know, a rash or a dermatologic reaction that's maybe starting to feel a little more serious. That's a great question. It's becoming a challenge even for us as healthcare providers because there are a lot more agents out that are causing rashes. And so if the um, medical team is, is challenged, the patients certainly are going to be. And it's a matter of kind of, is this a normal side effect? Is it a sign they're having an allergic reaction? Or maybe it's completely unrelated to the treatment altogether, um, especially with kind of these new things coming out. So the general rule of thumb for patients really should be, if it's new, you should call the office. Um, there are a lot of things, especially that kind of put us at a heightened alert, things that look like hives or even tiny little red bumps versus a rash that looks like acne. Um, those can be more of a sign of an allergic reaction or kind of something we, we wouldn't anticipate. Um, in, in certain cases, the team may tell the patient, you know, you're going to get a rash that looks like acne. And so if that happens, you know, certainly less level of concern when you've been told it's coming versus when you don't anticipate it. And with any type of rash, I always really urge my patients, 
Take a photo of it before you do anything. Don't wash your skin. Don't take a Benadryl. Take a photo of it first because in many times how the rash looks is a driving factor in how we can figure out what's causing it and is it safe to give that treatment again. That's a great. Uh, that's a great piece of advice, and I also know uh, Erica. You have a colleague there, Dr. Mario Lacouture, who's sort of a rock star in this space and in, in uh, helping patients deal with some of these issues. He has been on our uh, our radio show uh, in, in talking about some of the dermatological effects, and folks can go back in our archives and listen to that show. And I know he has a book out as well about uh, about some of these issues. So, um, you know, we really see this as an emerging area of, of uh, expertise, and see some doctors really focus focused on helping patients manage, uh, manage these issues. Um, uh, Jen, we've got a few minutes until our next break here, but, um, uh, you know, we've got to take a, a couple minutes here to talk about, uh, from a side effect standpoint, the emotional impact uh, mm-hmm. of a cancer diagnosis. And, and, and certainly we know that that social and emotional uh, impact um, can have both a psychological impact on patients and also a physical impact on patients. Can you talk about that and some techniques to really manage that? Right, right. One of our long-term members, uh, she let her grandchildren touch her bald head uh, as a way to really (laughs) normalize it. And I think she actually had something, she let them finger paint a little bit on their head and just kind of really um, brought some humor in to the situation. That's how their family coped with it. And then when her hair started to grow back in between treatments, you know, the, the kids could feel that fuzzy, soft hair growing back in. And what's so important about that story is that it made the whole process less scary for the kids, and in turn, she could receive more love and attention. Yeah, yeah. And and in terms of how, you know, in terms of how that that can kind of, how some of those emotions can, you know, have a physical impact in some of the things that we're doing to help patients manage that, Jen? Sure. In addition to the hair loss, for example, there are other losses along the way and changes that need to be dealt with. So uh, for folks going through treatment, maybe um, they might have stopped working or they might, um, because of the um, risks to their immune system, they might be careful going to movies or taking a trip or um, even being in, in crowds where that support would be naturally given. So, um, you know, talking this through either at a support group with a counselor or trusted friends yeah. can help people just express their feelings about that so that they're not yeah. isolated and so that their emotional reactions don't you know, get, get worse and worse into that anger and depression and that negativity that can so quickly be internalized. And, and really can be debilitating right. as well. Yeah, right. absolutely. Uh, this is, um, frankly, speaking about cancer, we're talking about managing uh, treatment side effects today. Our show is brought to you in part today by AstraZeneca, Millennium, the Takeda Oncology Company, and, and uh, uh, Purdue Pharma. Um, we, we've still got some uh, uh, additional information. I know we've been sharing a lot of really great and valuable information and tips uh, today. We've got a lot more information to share. We're just going to take a quick break uh, right here before we come back uh, for the final segment of the show. Um, uh, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tivaldo, and we will be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. 
This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back. I'm Kim Tibaldo, and this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Our show today is uh, sponsored in part by McKesson's Giving Comfort Program, Bristol-Myers Squibb, and Morphtech. We have been talking about how patients can cope with cancer treatment and the side effects that it often causes with Erica Fisher of Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center and Jen Sinclair of our own cancer support community in Greater Lehigh Valley. For this final segment, we've got a few more minutes left together. I want to discuss the effects that cancer treatment and its side effects can have on a person's uh, self-image. Erica, um, let's start with you, and uh, I'm going to try to cruise through a couple of questions here as we get towards the end of the show. But, but you know, how does how does cancer treatment impact how uh, how someone uh, sees themselves? Because we know that that the treatment can can bring some fairly significant changes at times. And what what do you see as sort of the impact on self-image? Um, there's a lot, and it's not just for women, which is, I think, what people traditionally think. Even men really struggle with this, and there are a lot of changes that go on in the body during cancer treatment, some much more visibly apparent than others, things like hair loss, which Jen had touched upon before, yeah. the removal of a breast or a testicle for cancer treatment, loss of fertility due to cancer therapies, weight gain or loss, tubes and drains. They really all impact how patients perceive themselves, but also how they believe others see them. And so one of the things that um, we really encourage them is to talk about it even before it happens. So before you're going into surgery, talking with your partners and your family member about the potential changes to your body and how you're going to deal with those things together. 
Yeah, and Erica, I just want to uh, just uh, you know quickly touch on. I mean, at the beginning of the show, you said that um, that you know sometimes there are issues that patients don't want to talk about that they're embarrassed to talk about or they think don't necessarily kind of relate to their cancer treatment. I imagine one of those issues is is sexuality, um, and we know that there can oftentimes be um, you know side effects that Im- impact the person's you know sexuality and and, uh, and intimacy. But I'm sure there are patients who think, "Gosh, this doctor's treating my cancer. Why did why?" Should I talk to them about my sex life? Um, but again, it's a it's a physical impact. It's a part of a patient's life that they really do have the right to address and talk about. Very much so. And you know, I, I put the responsibility is is dual. It really is the patients to bring it up, but it's also on the healthcare team. And this is something I teach a lot of our nurses as they come on that. You know, and it came from my own experience. I was a, a younger nurse, and I was seeing a patient who was, you know, had finished four months of chemotherapy, and she, you know, very shyly asked me when her husband stepped out of the room, you know, so when is it okay for us to start um, having sex again? And I thought, oh, my goodness, I had never get, told them at the beginning that it was okay to still be intimate um, with each other during the treatment. So here they are four or five months later, you know, still looking for that permission. And so it's, yeah. it's important, one, that patients step out of their comfort zone and ask, but that as nurses and doctors, we step out of our comfort zone and bring those topics up. Yeah. No, I think that that's, I think it's so important. Um, you know, Jen, I imagine you're dealing with a lot of folks who um, are trying to figure out how to cope with these changes, uh, you know, physical changes brought on by treatment and that it can certainly impact how a person feels about themselves and about their their, their, their self-image. Uh, what are some of the, the, the techniques that you use there at Cancer Support Community to help people manage through that? Uh, this question makes me think of a poem that one of our members brought in years ago. It's titled, What Cancer Cannot Do. Uh, so again, as, as Eric and, and we've already talked about some of the common changes and challenges that people internalize, um, this poem talks about how there are some things that the diagnosis cannot take away that's worth exploring. It's so important for survivors to know that cancer doesn't need to define them totally um, by their appearance and by some of the limitations. There are many ways that they can improve their self-image um, and their self-esteem by learning a new skill or a hobby. Um, for instance, one of our members stopped working and then therefore lost opportunities for compliments and feeling successful and you know that, that rewarding environment. Um, but she started taking some of our expressive arts classes and found that she was really quite talented. Um, mm. When she started taking our Pilates and dance classes, she she learned that she can be sassy again and she can be you know express her femininity and um, you know keep up with the the moves. And gradually, she she gained more of a sense of accomplishment. You know, anything like that to help people focus on what they can do to regain a sense of hope is so important. So sometimes this becomes an opportunity to just find and explore kind of new things, new avenues, and and, and using cancer as a way to to perhaps, you know, find meaning or discover those new challenges, Jen. Right, right, and the safety of others who get it, who've walked the same walk. 
Yeah, I, I, I think it's I think it's critical, Jen. I just want to take a quick minute. Um, you know, we've done extensive shows on 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 and for caregivers and as a caregiver mm-hmm. coping um, uh, with the disease. But we know that caregivers can often experience side effects as well. You know, as a result of trying to give constant you know support to that loved one, they can really feel run down. They can feel fatigued. Right. Could, you know, their the immune system can be suppressed from all of that. Um, tips for caregivers. Sure. I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because I've worked very closely with our friends and family group over the years, and, and you're absolutely right. They feel distress just as much as their loved one uh, who's diagnosed. And if I could pick out just one thing to say, uh, one way to cope is to have some periods of respite. And that doesn't have to be very long. It could even just be a brief phone call with another friend. Uh, we encourage people, you know, accept those invitations for coffee. Go to dinner with a friend. Um, just any little escape, even if it's just a book or a show, anything for that distraction. Um, this is often where delation comes in. It's important. Yeah. Even though it can be tough to do so, ask for help. Care partners don't need to do it all, all the time. Yeah, and I, you know, I just, I, I just, I want to emphasize that, um, you know, at our centers around the country, 50 centers around the country, all of our programs are available not only for the patient but for the caregiver and for the loved one. So, if you're a caregiver and you want to come out for our, you know, for our support groups, we've got specific support groups for caregivers. We've got nutrition classes, exercise classes. You know, these are for all people impacted by cancer, and we certainly know that the caregivers and those around the person with cancer um, are, are uh, you know, hugely impacted as well by the diagnosis and, and need to know that they're, you know, welcome in our in our communities around the country. Um, I uh, we, We've covered so much information today. I want to thank Jen and Erica for coming onto the show, for giving us some great and helpful information about cancer treatment. I feel like we could talk for a couple more hours <laughs> about the right. topics and 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 uh, and really drill down. So uh, you know, in that spirit, I just want to remind folks that we've got a, a new version of our booklet, frankly speaking, about cancer, uh, cancer treatments, and side effects. Uh, you can download it from our website at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. It's a completely free uh, uh, resource that folks can um, uh, can take a look at, and it's got all this information about managing both the um, the physical and uh, the emotional impact of a cancer diagnosis. Lots of good information and tips on managing things and, and tips also on talking with your doctor and your, your, your healthcare team and wonderful nurses like Erica who are out there to help you and want to, you know, have a, a good line of communication with their patients. So, um, you know, take a look at that and we hope it'll be a good, uh, good resource for you. Um, I want to thank all of our listeners for joining us today on Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Um, just want to remind folks the Cancer Support Community provides that we're a nonprofit organization. We provide a multitude of in-person, online, telephonic support. As I said, we've got 50 beautiful centers around the country where we provide support groups, educational programs, nutrition, exercise, stress reduction for people with all cancers, all stage of illness, and as I said, for the caregivers, family members, and loved ones uh, of those with cancer. And we have um, uh, appreciate Jen being on today, and, and she's at our beautiful center in uh, in Lehigh Valley, uh, Pennsylvania, a little bit outside of the the Philadelphia area. Great, uh, a great community there. We've got a great, also a great helpline that's staffed by trained counselors. Uh, if you don't happen to have one of our centers in your backyard, you can call us at eight eight eight. 888- 
793-9355. But check us out at cancersupportcommunity.org. Lots of great information on the website. You can find a list of our centers around the country, get the support uh, that you need, and get connected with others who are also going through the same experience. Um, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo. Thanks for joining us today. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.